Season 2, Episode 27 of The MN Corner. I'm Brad Rothschild. And I'm Stephen Cook. Stephen, Episode 27. 27 is a sacred 27 number. 27 is the number of world championships that the New York Yankees own, possess. It's a sacred number until they it's win sure, 28. And then that becomes a sacred number. I don't think there's any exactly. other baseball team that can hold a candle to the number of championships that the Yankees have. No. Even though, you know, right now they're hovering around 500. That is true. Because it's cold out. I hope that it's only um, it's cold. There, yeah. There's too well, much talent. Know, look, we'll say, call me, call me in July. Call me in July. Let's let's talk in July when the, I know. The, the the Red Sox have their midsummer swing. I hope so because and the Yankees are pouring. Right now, out. the Red Sox are looking really strong, and it makes uh, our mutual friend Tim Wheaton very happy. Guys, a Red Sox tweet machine. You know, he's so giddy that it kind of makes me a little bit nauseous. I mean, he's such a good guy and everything, but. Right. Like his level, no, his level I, I of just, Red Sox fandom is too much for me. And he doesn't even live in New England. Has he ever lived in New England? He's from like San Diego. I don't think. I don't He's know. He's from San Diego. Yeah. Shouldn't he be rooting yeah, for the why Padres? Yeah, the freaking Padres? Yeah. I know exactly. So when I see his Red Sox tweets, I just I just scroll right through. I don't pay any I attention. Mean, he's got his own podcast, and you and I have both been on it, Daddy Unscripted, and he is a really. An awesome podcast. And he's a thoughtful, nice dude uh, who's nothing but gracious when our team does well uh, on on the right. Twitter. But I have to say that it, it, I die a little bit inside every time I see his tweets. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's. I think you know what I think. Tim must be like kind of trying out to be the Red Sox. Fanboy, like social media guy, <laughs> yeah, like no, the Red Sox tweet or something like that. That guy know. has like Red Sox calendars in his office. He's got Red Sox <laughs> T-shirts. He's got the Red Sox uh, trash pal. He's got like the flag. He's, he's got a mini Sitco sign on his he's desk. All he's yeah. all in. I must say there is a, a fair amount of Yankee paraphernalia in in, in my yeah. office. I got a Yogi Berra signed ball. I've got like a, a little model of the stadium. That's all right. I've got a, I've got a picture of the old stadium framed. Yeah. I'm not gonna say. That's cool stuff. I'm not gonna say that I have chairs from the old Yankee Stadium. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not gonna say that I don't have. <laughs> I have those too. I, I Meanwhile, it's early in the season, and it's. It's getting it's getting late for America. It is, is all it I have to say. I, before we leave the Yankees, though, I just want to say that we yeah. we never really talk enough about the Yankees, considering our tagline. One of our taglines for the podcast. I know, is I know, the but Yankees. We've just been overwhelmed yeah. by insanity. It's an avalanche of political insanity. I don't. I would love to talk more about. You the mean Yankees, if we had simpler lives, where the Yankees were the only thing that really mattered? Then right. If the if, if the lead story of the New York Times was not about crony capitalism, yeah. grifting, I mean, the, the insane corruption of Scott Pruitt, the, the EPA administrator, is unbelievable. It's really, I read this article also in the New York Times this morning uh, at, at your behest, and I was like, you know, my, you know what I thought? I was like, we don't need, we do don't need to worry 
about a Manchurian candidate, about Russia installing their man in the in the in the White House, because what has happened in this country, in in, in broad daylight, is politicians have been have been placed in positions of authority by corporations. So he. When he didn't represent the state of Oklahoma. He represented no. he represented the oil, oil and, and gas, gas businesses. industry. He was their guy. He's not representing human he, beings. He's representing corporations. That's what this guy well, is. Corporations are humans. Oh, that's true. Corporations, corporations are, are humans. But the, this guy woke up every morning when he was the attorney oh general of the state of Oklahoma and sued the EPA on behalf of his paymasters in the oil and gas industry. It's... I mean, it's crazy. And, and this article basically outlined how when he was uh, attorney general in Oklahoma and before, <laughs> when he was just a state senator. When right, he was when he was a state, state senator. senator. He, all of these how business he, he deals. He used his influence I mean, and his good old buddies who ran banks. He bought a house. Establishing shell companies so he could buy this house. At the I low mean, market just, value. At below market, $100,000 below market. From a lobbyist. So here we have, because this is a really complicated article, because there's a lot of grifting going on in here. So essentially, he saw this fancy house that he wanted that was owned by a lobbyist. And as a state senator, as a state senator, he made like $40,000, and then he was a lawyer for some firm in Oklahoma. So it's not like... Huge right. dollars, but still, right? I mean, it's nice, but it costs still, money. Yeah. So he, so right. he, and a bunch of his friends who are also, uh, it, one guy was like ran right. a bank. So one guy's a banker, and the other guy's a lobbyist, and they bought this house from a lobbyist at below market rates, and the bank. Right, they established a shell right. company to buy that at house, the bar- and then he never disclosed. Right. That he was uh, violating Oklahoma campaign finance laws or whatever. But you think, he never disclosed this business you would interest. Think, why would somebody sell their house at below market rates? <laughs> right? <laughs> a, a lobbyist who had business before the Oklahoma government <laughs> sold it to a state senator <laughs> at below market and rates. And it was financed like, through the is, bank. That was partners with the guy buying the house. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's a lot to get your head around here. Like, it's crazy. But the bottom line is the guy is a grifter extraordinaire. I mean, look, the, the, the revelations of his insistence on first class oh. travel because of security threats. Of course, there have been no security threats against Scott Pruitt. Although the, I'm sure many people do want to see him <laughs> $45,000 skiff in his office, um, the bulletproof desk, the 20 armed the guards, travel. the insistence that they put the sirens right. on when the, he drives the, through the, D.C. The air travel. I mean... The air travel. I mean... The, the pettiness, the petty grifter that this guy is. And you know what? The whole thing with the bank and the shell company, it just reminded me of, like, Mubarak's Egypt. Like, the way in which people close to... You know, Gamal Mubarak, they would work they would work their their contacts and their association with people in power just 
to basically steal. Now, wait, now, and this is what Scott Pruitt's doing. Just for clarification, what? Gamal Mubarak was the son of Jose Mubarak. So for people, exactly. for people, not Jose Mubarak, Hosni Mubarak, not Jose Mubarak either. <laughs> no, uh, he oh, Jose Mubarak plays for the Mets. <laughs> Hosni Mubarak was the president of Egypt uh, for almost thirty what, what years. What did I okay. say, Hosni? I didn't. <laughs> I hear you did, but it sounded a little bit like Jose. Jose. He was a shortstop, wasn't he? <laughs> he's in. The, he plays. He's in the Mets. He's like system. got a good glove, weak hitting shortstop, and the yeah, yeah. No, yeah. But, but Kamal is his oldest son. Is that the deal? Second, Second son. son. Second and son. why? Like, what was his? Just for our listeners who don't really follow. So, so Gamal Mubarak was a. He was he for a long time. He worked for the not a long time, but he worked for the Bank of America. Yeah. And he and actually the governor of the the now governor of the central bank cooked up a scheme in which they used Gamal's profile as the president's son to buy Egyptian debt uh-huh. from people at a very, very low cost for pennies on the dollar and then turned around and sold that debt back to the Egyptian government when the Egyptian government was buying nice. back debt deal. for a hefty, hefty profit. Deal. So, yeah, so totally basically, but we have these guys like, who are enriching themselves on the public dime. But you right. know what? They will never, no never get rid of him because he's executing on the long-held Republican dream of dismantling the EPA. Right, right, right. That's exactly right. I mean, he has done one crazy, insane thing after another. He has been on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post for this kind of grifting, uh, like, regularly. Yeah, that's because... Then you take David Shulkin, the la- the, an Obama appointee, who is the head of uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, by all measures had been doing a very good yeah. job. He went on a, a European... He went to a conference in Europe, decided to bring his wife, and actually, you know, had the U.S. government pay for his wife when... They found this out, and when the press, you know, called him out on it, he actually repaid everything. Right. He was pushed out. Well, but he was an Obama holdover. Right, and you know, he was not for fully privatizing the VA medical right, so system. So they're not going to have his that back. Was the They'll never issue. have his back. Right, right. So even though he did the right, after doing the wrong thing, he did the right yeah, thing. Yeah, but you know, is it really any? So he was it, pushed out because he didn't want to fulfill the. The Coach Brothers' dream of privatizing the and VA. destroying the EPA. Well, that, that's... And now, and so we have Pruitt, who's the counterexample, who is destroying the EPA on behalf of the oil and gas yeah. industry, on behalf of the Koch Brothers, and he's bulletproof. He bulletproof. No matter what crazy thing but he does. But you said that, like, the, you know, he's been on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, in numerous times. But does that surprise you, those liberal failing newspapers that all they do is attack <laughs> yeah. our president and try to drag him down. But even 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 Fox, when the revelations, I don't know what what it was, it was a number of weeks ago, Ed Henry from Fox News interviewed Pruitt and he said, and he pointed out the things that Pruitt had done and he, he said to Pruitt, how do you how is that draining the swamp? How aren't you contributing to the swamp? And and Pruitt got all, you know, self righteous and like how dare you ask me a question like that? He's the slimiest, he is the swamp. most corrupt of any yeah, of we them. Also didn't, we and also, he's doing so much yeah, that's damage. The big thing. 
so much damage. damage. And we didn't. There's another we article. Didn't, we didn't mention in the Times. Hold on, we didn't mention what the the house that he has been renting, the townhouse that he's been <laughs> right. renting in Washington D.C. for fifty bucks for a 50 night, fifty bucks a night, which is owned by a lobbyist, but for the gas and oil who, industry. As it turns out, maybe he did have a meeting with that lobbyist while he was in while he was in the EPA. So nothing to see here. Fifty bucks for a townhouse. He's like, no, no, no. It's like it's like Airbnb. Yeah, except if you go on oh Airbnb and type in Washington D.C. in that area and fifty bucks a night, nothing comes up because there's nothing available for fifty bucks a night in Washington D.C. for like a beautiful yeah, townhouse sorry. steps from the Capitol. Multiply that by four, and maybe He's you'll a, get something. He, in a in a in an administration of. Enormous douchebags. He's the biggest one. Then there's another article in the Times. It's in the review section about these chemicals that are leaching into the water supply. That EPA and Pruitt's EPA they've done they've had no no done no taken no action against you know Dupont and these others who are who are and this is this is chemicals and chemical compounds that will be contaminating humans and the earth well after. Humans are yeah, gone. Yeah, you can't prove that. But you can't. You yeah, can't yeah, prove it's that. Science, man. You can't prove that. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I think the human so, body needs to build up a natural resistance to things like that. So, <laughs> if, <laughs> oh my god, I don't god. know. It's, so the science it's just, is, is still unproven on all of that, Stephen. But meanwhile, you know, kudos to the kudos to the Times for cover and the Post for covering Pruitt like the way it is. Like, like the way they have. Well, like the way but they should. You, you mean? realize, well, the way we they should. Be, we the shouldn't way be they congratulating have. them for doing their jobs properly because they have failed well, no, spectacularly. But, no, no, no. But you didn't, but you didn't, you didn't, you didn't let me I finish ever? the last Do part I of my ever? sentence. Is that they're covering him while everybody is distracted discussing Russian hookers. I think you're the only one distracted and discussing Russian hookers. I mean, like, remember when, like, a bunch of years ago, you would be so excited, you'd text me, you'd be like, it's his pussy ride on the front page of the New York Times. And I'd go, like, running, oh, my God, it says pussy ride. And we'd, like, create, like, an entire day of text messages of hilarity about pussy riot. And we thought, like, oh, my God, like, could it go, could it get, you know, beyond that? No way. This is, like, this is, like, the perfect thing, pussy riot on the front page of the New York Times. That used to excite me. And... I have to admit it. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was like this red line had been broken, but but it w- it would never get much beyond well, that. And now, and now, I mean, like you know, and it wasn't just the times. Like you would turn on CNN, and Wolf Blitzer would be talking about you know the Russian feminist punk band Pussy Riot. They always have to love it whatever. when Wolf Blitzer says the word pussy. <laughs> now, as long as we're, I'm Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room, and we have special guest Pussy Riot with yeah, us today. Are we allowed to say I mean, pussy, or are we going to get fined by? No, 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 it's not on the list. It's not on the list. You can say No, 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 you can say it. And we're talking about a Russian punk band called Pussy yeah. Riot. Or what about a pussy hat? But, or a pussy hat, right? That's totally fine. So then, now yeah. we're discussing like whether the Russian president. Yeah. Told, told yeah. the American president that Russia has the most beautiful hookers. And, like, that's a news cycle. Do you think that that's news, though? And do you think, one, is it news, and two, is it true? I don't... I, well, I definitely think it's that true. That they have the best hookers? And I, and I don't... You think Russia no, has the no, best no, hookers? No, 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 I definitely... 
No, no, no. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. I know that there are many Russian hookers, but I I do not know if they are the best, most beautiful hookers in the world. Is there like a... But what I do know is this, is that President Trump definitely has engaged in some sort of activity with Russian hookers. Because when this whole thing came out, when Comey put this in his memo about the president... And the and the Russian hookers and the, Putin allegedly the saying these things. The P tape, uh, but but aside from the P tape, some commentators like David Frum and others have said, you see, the president thinks that Putin said this to him, but Putin actually said this like a year before in Moldova or something like that. I don't think that that's the case. I think when Putin spoke to Trump the first time or the second time or whatever it was. The reason why the most beautiful Russian hookers came up is because it's an obvious thing to talk to Trump about because Trump, when he was in Moscow during that trip, during the Miss Universe contest, obviously engaged in uh, some type of sexual extravaganza with Russian hookers. Do you think it was an extravaganza? I, I mean, you know, like... They got it on tape. There's all kinds of allegations about all kinds of kinky stuff going on there. Um, So, but but my point is, my point is we've gone from being completely like wildly can't believe they're seeing Pussy Riot on the front page of the New York Times and on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. And now, and now we've gone from adult film star Stormy Daniels to discussing whether the two presidents discussed whether Russia has the most beautiful hookers in the world. I mean, how low can this so go? So are you saying that we've become blasé about pussy? I just... We've I become blasé. It's just an observation. Blasé. But I want to go back to the notion that one can uh, ascertain which country has the best hookers. There, I don't think there's... There's never been a competition... Should we have the most beautiful hooker competition? Notwithstanding Borat's claim that his sister was number four prostitute in all of Kazakhstan. (laughs) There's really no way that you can prove. It's like when my kids yell at me and say, you're the worst father ever. I'm like, (laughs) there's really no way you could know that. Dude, dude, this is something for the Trump organization to capitalize on. I think they have to have the most beautiful hooker in the world competition. That's a good Isn't point. Isn't that but so Trumpy? It is Trumpy, but if we were talking about making America great again, <laughs> how could we be great if our hookers aren't the best <laughs> in the world? God. We can't be great until we <laughs> reclaim that top spot. Because I'm relatively is, aren't they certain. supposed to be called sex workers? I'm relatively certain that ours were at one point the best in the world. <laughs> Maybe like in the mythical. You know, time when everything was wonderful in this country. We had the best prostitutes in the world. And <laughs> when was that? Like the fifties? It, it was, was like, like morning in the... America. We had great prostitutes. Were there prostitutes did, in the fifties? Did you did say they wear hoop skirts? Did you just say it's horny in America again? Or did you say it's morning in America? <laughs> it's morning in America. No, it's that was wasn't. Oh no, when Stormy, when the whole Stormy thing broke, she she went to some club and it was and they billed it as make America horny again. But I did oh, not really? say horny in America. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. No, just, I'm just it's just it's it's the. I mean, talk about the coarsening of our culture. Not that I'm you know prudish about it, but. Just think about the discourse 
It's, and we're in the gutter. The, the, we're the, in the gutter. The, the decorum that is required among leaders like the president of the United States, and it's all just gone completely out the window. Well, and, and that, that sometimes does. I'm like, oh, I've become blasé to it. But then it just struck me the other night where after some Comey interview, they just couldn't shut up about Russian hookers and this whole issue. And then I'm, I'm stretching after a run the next morning and I flip on the TV and there's Andrew Cuomo talking about beautiful Russian hookers. Does he think that New York prostitutes are better? Was it, is it Chris Cuomo? No, it's, oh, it's Chris Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo's yeah. the governor. I can't keep right, those two a, dudes straight. They're brothers. Right. They're brothers. I know they're brothers. <laughs> but I can't figure out which one's on CNN and which one's Chris, the governor. Chris anyway. is on CNN. Right. right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's time to make America great again. <laughs> yeah. And then, by the way, oh, my God, the big news, you know, yes. Israel's really under threat these days. Israel is yeah. under siege. It's not just under, under threat. Under siege. Because... Yeah. It's a terrible situation. Yeah. And we should all be very, very concerned. Israel about. is being threatened by Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. The is, actress. Is threatening. Natalie, Natalie Portman, who Natalie decided, Portman, a graduate of Syosset High School. And Harvard uh, on University. Syosset, Long Island, Harvard University. Um, uh, has put Israel's very existence in jeopardy. That's true. By refusing to... Except a prize that was awarded to her, a genius prize. What is it called? The Jewish. No, the Genesis Prize. Yeah, Jewish. The Genesis Prize. Genesis Prize. It's like it's like that. It's the like Ju- um, the Jewish. The Star Nobel. Trek movies. Yeah. The Genesis Project in Star Trek when Scott when uh, Spock is reborn. So so she announced, I think on Friday, that she was not going to accept the award. She did it on Shabbos. No, on Friday. Before the, so like, before the Sabbath. Oh my Prior God. to the she really is of a self hater. She, by the way, she's an Israeli citizen, isn't she? She is an Israeli citizen. She was born right. in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So she was born in Jerusalem. She moved, but she, they, her parents moved to Strong Island when she was three. But she speaks Hebrew. She, she's maintained she her citizenship. Hebrew. She's actually and filmed a like, movie in Israel. Right. She adapted that um, Amos Oz. Novel into oh, right. a film, and that she filmed right. there. She was her directorial debut. She speaks Hebrew. She loves Israel. Right. Uh, and yet, I, I saw some people on Twitter the other day um, complaining that she supported the 2006 war uh, between Israel and Hezbollah, and so therefore she actually is not a liberal she's a, she's Israeli a fa- Jew. She's, she's, a, she's a, no, a fascist. She's a fascist Zionist. And um, she's a fascist Zionist. But she right. did come out and say that the reason that she is not going to accept this award is because she does not want to uh, see Bibi Netanyahu and be on the stage with him. And it has. And she actually said in her statement that she is against BDS. So this has right. nothing to do but with the but existence her, of the state of Israel. It wasn't just. It wasn't just she didn't want to appear with Netanyahu. No, I mean, she said that she was disturbed about what had been happening in Israel over the course of the last month. Right. So once which, again, for our listeners once, who don't know, the Palestinians have been protesting in Gaza, and not all of those protests have been peaceful. But there have been many peaceful expressions of protest, along with violence, and certainly Hamas is trying to take advantage of this. But Israeli forces have shot. A lot of and civilians. Killed. 
killed a fair number of civilians, including a member of the press corps, a Palestinian journalist, um, and Natalie Portman just... Yeah. What? But it, it's just not just felt that. like she it's couldn't also, accept this award. But it's also about the African, the treatment of the African asylum Atta- Oh, that's right. That's right. So An issue close to your heart. Lot, African Exodus, has, great movie. Thank you. It has a lot to do with her feelings about the current government of Israel. And I think right. that people need to be able to differentiate between... Nope, can't do it. Yeah, I guess I guess that's, if you're that, not that's the whole thing. If you're not all in for Bibi, then you're a self-hating Jew. You're anti-Semitic. That's the way the some mainstream Likud, American Jewish leadership has made it. Not just Americans. Some Likud politician said we should strip her of her citizenship. Right. That's insane. Right. Insane. That's insane. But it's it's it it's not surprising out, that the, hold on hold on. It turns what? out that the. Israel firsters are actually the biggest bunch of snowflakes around. <laughs> exactly. They can't handle Natalie anything. Portman says she won't accept an award, and people lose their minds. Like I mean, the they can't handle anything. Threat. Just say, accept. Uh, okay, I don't agree with her. I think she could have done this. I don't think it was right. Whatever. You don't need to go. I've so, I've seen so much nonsense. On the Twitter in the last couple of days, like some guy even wrote, "I don't even like her movies anymore. They're not. She's not even a good actress." It's like I will dude, say, really? I will say, the the Star Wars prequel trilogy were among the worst movies I've ever seen. But that had, had nothing, nothing to really to do had with her. Nothing to do with her. <laughs> I mean, come on, Queen Amidala. That whole thing was weird. By um, the way, you also just to remind our listeners or to inform them. Originally, this prize was supposed to go to somebody else this year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was supposed to go to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh. The notorious RBG? Yeah, but they didn't want to anger Trump by giving the award to somebody who is such a vocal (laughs) critic of his. And, you know, God forbid we should should disturb the the wicked king, Ahasuerosh. Dude, it's unbelievable. I really, I, I, I get the, or Antiochus or some wicked the, king in Jewish the, history. The American Jewish community and its leaders kind of closing ranks to criticize Natalie Portman. Yeah, and I, I, I'm sure most actually younger American Jews agree with what her perspective on these things. But it's like. Agree We've or seen disagree. this before. When you you when you couldn't film, we couldn't couldn't show your 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 film, yeah. African Exodus, at my former synagogue. Yeah. That's happened more than once. Uh, the kerfuffle over J Street at my former synagogue, where the, the the guy couldn't put out the postcards in the community table about the J Street <laughs> conference. Your former um, synagogue is a problematic place. <laughs> it is a problematic place, but that happens but everywhere. It, it, it is it is emblematic of what's going on in this country and the American right. Jewish community. I mean, and even if you disagree with her, this is a woman who has an informed opinion. You don't have to share it, but you don't have to bash the heck out of her just because you don't like what she's doing. I stand with Natalie. And then there are people who are saying, well, she could have used the opportunity to actually speak truth to power and to be on that stage and to talk. It's like, you know what? She's getting she's doing exactly the way she wants to do it. And she's getting a decent amount of attention for it. So how can you say that what she's doing is wrong? Can you imagine had she done that? 
Can uh, you imagine had she spoken truth to power? The the outcry would have been the same. Right. Oh, it would have been the same. It would have been so no disrespectful. So disrespectful. So, and who is she how dare to she? tell the prime minister of Israel how, what right. he who should she? and should right. not do? She's an actress and not even a good one. Right. What yeah. kind of bullshit? She doesn't live here. She doesn't. She's not really Israeli. She lives in the United States, and she's gotten rich. And how come she's never criticized the United States government? And how come she's never criticized the Chinese government? Ugh. Why does she spend all of her time picking on Israel? You know what? Uh. All of my uh, Israel firsters, you know, <laughs> pr- quote unquote pro-Israel people, like you gotta stop being such snowflakes. Snowflakes, really bunch of because, snowflakes. Because in the Middle East, snow melts really quickly. <laughs> They're so upset. <laughs> one little critique, one little. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna accept this award this year. Natalie it's not Portman really probably me. weighs like 105 pounds. She's probably <laughs> five foot three, and she's an actress. I mean, come on, guys. She's shaking up, the stage. It's up. a threat. It's Tough a enough, everybody. Except you. She denounced BDS be at the same time. Enough. Oh my! We should be strong enough to be able to accept criticism from people who love us. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, it's, clearly, there's a, there's clearly Israelis and their supporters in the United States are so nervous that somebody will discover really what's going on. Really, what's going on? That during Passover, the Israeli government sought to deport Africans seeking yeah. asylum in the country. That Israelis have quite honestly overreacted to this Gaza thing. I know that it's totally emotive. It's connected to land day, and and yeah. increasingly there is uh, you know calls that the entirety of Israel is occupied territory. I mean, that's been part of Palestinian discourse for a long time. But there was this period where there was this belief about a two-state solution and so on and so forth. I understand that it's a motive. And I understand that Hamas has sought and other violent groups have sought to take advantage of this. But given, I mean, you know, unleashing snipers on people uh, in the way that they have is really seems beyond... Um, you think so? Now, the, now uh, they're un, now they're unleashing their snipers in cyberspace on Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, I Poor stand Natalie with Natalie. Portman. I stand with Natalie Portman. Oh my god! Yeah, we all I do think the state will survive. Portman. I don't anyway. know. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, speaking of Israel, do yes. you want to uh, go yeah, ahead? So before we leave for the week, I just wanted to talk for a minute about uh, my father-in-law, Howard Sacker, passed away this week. Uh, and Howard was a giant among historians and wrote extensively, An giant. wrote extensively on Israel and on the Middle East. And, um, you know, his, the last few years have been difficult because uh, he was suffering from various uh, ailments. But when his mind was sharp, there was nobody, I have never heard a better public speaker, a better orator. He could, he would start off his talks with one subject and then just go on this. He would just take you on this journey with him. And then at the end, he would somehow like magically bring it right back to the beginning. And you only then understood what everything else, how everything else linked back to the first thing that he said, which was, you know, brought home in the, the last thing that he said. 
And so much of uh, his life was de- was devoted to chronicling the history of the Jewish people and of Israel. And he really was a Zionist in the best sense of, of the word. Uh, and um, you was, know, I knew I knew Howard Sachar before I knew you. Yeah. And yeah. I spent, and I had, I had the second volume of his monumental history of Israel, and I spent yeah. years, years searching used bookstores high and low for for volume one, and yeah. then, and and when I discovered that you were his son-in-law, I was like, oh my god, Howard Sachar, oh my god, and you oh got the book, and I, I got, a, I got the book, yeah, and, and, he, and two, he I got to know it. Howard, who yeah. was a just, I. I I, uh, like you said, a, a giant in the field and extremely nice to me and spent a lot of time talking to me about my work, came to my book parties. That's I true, used his did. work in, in the struggle for Egypt. I mean, and, and yet he a, always referred to you as Steve Cook as opposed to <laughs> Stephen. And I would tell him time and again, no, Howard, that's Stephen. He'd be like, oh, that's right. How is your friend Steve doing? I'm like, Stephen? Yes, that's, that's Stephen Cook. How is he? Yes, Steve. So and I'd get those random emails from him when I'd write something. And I would say, great. Steve, Steve, I read that? your piece. I'm like, who and why? <laughs> anyway, but I just those wanted, are all good memories. Uh, it's and a good memory, but I want to say, like, I was telling this to somebody yesterday. Like, do you have any idea how intimidating it was for me to have this guy as my father-in-law? Oh yeah. Like the yeah. first, I, Michelle had told me, first of all, I knew about him before I met him, but Michelle told me about him. And I have to say, in all honesty and in, in all candor, I was petrified <laughs> to meet him. I, I can imagine. Petrified, because here I was like 25 years old, you know, a grad student. And, you know, who was I to dare <laughs> to take, to date the daughter of this man. <laughs> and I was so scared that he was going to think that I was a total fraud and a clown. And guess what? He did. <laughs> <laughs> because I was. <laughs> and I am. Now. Well, not now. We, uh, yeah, I was petrified to meet him. We met him in, I met him the first time in Boston at Michelle's grandmother's house. And after we were there for dinner, I made Michelle go to see an Adam Sandler movie with me because I was just like, <laughs> I need to decompress after that. It was so, like, I'm like, what do I say? What do I not say? Like, I, I figured, like, keeping my mouth closed would probably be the best course of action that way. You know, my dad always told me it's better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're an idiot. Did, than did Howard say to Michelle, hmm, seems like a nice young man, but very quiet. No, he did not say that. <laughs> yeah. So mm. anyway, um, yeah, this is a, mo- a momentous week in our in our family and a sad week. But you know, he was sad. ninety. He was ninety. He lived a long life, a good life, a and long productive and productive life. life. And um, you know, we're the world is a richer place for having him in it. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. All right, everyone. We're out next week.